Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this January 2011 episode, we'll be focusing on starting the year off right, and we'll kick that off by checking in on the latest happenings in the genealogy world with the Genealogy Insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Then in our top tip segment, genealogy author and instructor Lisa Alzo will give us some tips on how to create a research plan from her article called Roadmap to Your Roots from the January 2011 issue of the magazine. And in our 101 best websites for tracing your roots, we'll look at the website Evernote.com with Andrew Sinkov, Vice President of Marketing, who will explain how Evernote might just be able to be your second brain. Imagine that. Then our own in-house preservationist, Grace Dobush, will be here again with another installment of Safekeeping. And in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, instructor Nancy Hendrickson shares some great organizational ideas from her Organize Your Research class. And finally, we'll check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, editor and publisher of Family Tree Magazine, who has some additional resources for you to start the year off right. There is a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the genealogy news with the Genealogy Insider blogger, Diane Haddad. One of the best ways to start the year off right is by keeping up with the newest resources and information. So let's do that with managing editor and genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi. Well, Diane, one of the top places that genealogists, of course, get their information is FamilySearch. And they've got some new things going on. Tell us how they flip the switch to their new website. Well, they sure do. Most genealogists know that they have been working for a few years now on the new site, which we formerly were calling was calling Family Search Beta. And now they have released that site from Beta, so Family Search Beta is now just Family Search, and it looks and works a lot differently from how the site did before. Exactly. And so we're now going to familysearch.org, correct? We're back to the main website URL. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And before they had, when they were working on all these updates, they had different parts of the site where you could go here to search historical digitized records and, um, you know, here to search other things. So now it's all part of one site, which is, it's good and it's helpful because it's easier for people to find all these great new resources. So all of these projects they've been working on, the records they've been digitizing so quickly lately, um, these are all now back on FamilySearch.org? Yes. What people will see when they go to the site is um, a search box, search boxes, and they're all part of one search window. And then at the top of that little window, there are some tabs. And the one that's the default that you'll see when you go to the site is historical records. And then you can also click on a library catalog tab or a family trees tab to search those databases. Great. And of course, we can still access the family history library catalog through there as well. Yes, um, and the search interface for that also is a bit different, and the results that you get when you um, search the Family History Library catalog and see the resources that are available to you are also, um, that results list will look a little bit different. I think it's easier to um, to wade through your results because you can filter them 
um, by type and place. And then also there are fewer clicks to get to those microfilm notes or um, notes about, you know, whatever type of resource it is. That's what I was noticing. It just seemed like it was more streamlined. You get there quicker. Yes, yes. And that's definitely one of the things that they were trying to do when they designed the new website. And you were talking about filtering. So we we can do our initial search, we can even do more of an advanced search. But then from there, you can filter down and home in more on what you're really looking for. Right. Um, For example, a lot of records are organized by place by county. So you can home in on the county that you're looking for. And then you can also um, specify, you know, it'll say 1900s or 1800s. So you can look at records from the time period that's related to when your ancestors were in that area. You know, you you bring up a great point, because I think that's something that people often forget. You know, you go to FamilySearch.org, and you get very focused on trying to find the names of your ancestors and focusing in on the people. Mm -hmm. And yet location is so much about what genealogy is about. And there's a wealth of records that may not be specifically indexed by your ancestor's name. But right. that fall under those locations. Exactly. And that's one of my top tips to tell people is to just search the catalog by county. Or, you know, if you're using Ancestry.com, go and see what records they have for a specific county or city. And you might see resources you never even knew were available. Exactly. Well, I think Family Search and the new Family Search, the one that they've flipped the switch on that is now up and running, is really a great place to start our new year of family history research. Diane, thanks so much. And I'll have a link to Diane's article that kind of explains more in detail all of the new changes that you're going to find there at Family Search in the show notes for this episode. Thanks, Diane. You're welcome. Do you want to make some ancestral breakthroughs or bust some brick walls? Well, then you need a good research plan. And Lisa also is back to share tips from her article, Roadmap to Your Roots, which appears in the January 2011 issue of the magazine. Welcome back, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me again. Oh, it's great to have you back. And I just love how in this article, you liken the genealogy research plan to a roadmap, or I guess in more modern terms, a GPS system. Tell us why a research plan is so critical to navigating your family history research. Well, when I was writing this article, when I got the assignment, I was thinking about you know, my own research, and I've been doing genealogy for 20 years, and and uh, even I have to start sometimes from scratch or if I'm dealing with a brick wall and I go back and revisit my research. I find that today... Uh, Genealogists, we tend to, because of the internet and because of all the resources being thrown at us, we tend to sort of just jump right into the deep end and just maybe randomly start searching and we really maybe don't even know what we really want to accomplish or what we want to look for. So I was thinking about my own research and I said, yeah, it, it's really like a roadmap. It's, it's, you, you want to lay out what it is you're actually trying to find and how you're going to get there. And, and so, so it's like a series of steps that you create for yourself. And, and, and I like to see things visual. So I like to create my steps and check them off as I go along. And I think that a, a research plan really helps helps you be organized right from the beginning. And instead of just sort of randomly jumping in and searching all over the place, you maybe focus on one ancestor or one thing about an ancestor that you want to find out. 
Yeah, you are so right. Like you say, when you're heading out on the internet, you can pick all that low-hanging fruit, you know, the easy stuff to find. But then there comes a point when you have to get a little more strategic. And certainly the research plan helps us to do that. And it helps us to be focused. Now, I know you've got it boiled down to like a five-point strategy in your article. Give us a quick overview. What are the five components that we need to keep our eye on? First of all, you have to have an objective. So what is it you want to find out? So, for example, this year I want to find out more about my great-grandfather. I found out when I went to Slovakia over the summer that uh, my great-grandfather actually had come to the U.S. a few times, and I didn't know that before. He was one of these so-called birds of passage. So what I want to do is find out more about his time in the U.S. So I, I, I identify my objective. So that's the first step. The next step is then you uh, list the known facts. So I would go and list whatever I found out about my great-grandfather. And then you formulate a hypothesis. You make some educated guesses about uh, the questioner, the problem, why you think or when you think this event may have happened. So I, I sort of narrowed down the years when I think he would have come to the U.S. Then the next step is to identify resources with related records. So obviously I'm going to dive into some immigration records, some passenger lists. Uh, can I find him? Was he he... he did he happen to be here during the year that a census was taken? So I would write all these these resources down. And then uh, finally, I would find out how do I access these resources. So do I use Ancestry.com? Do I have to go to the Family History Library? Do I have to do some more traditional research? Where do I get these resources? So those are the, the basic five steps. Terrific. Now, you mentioned that you like things visual, and I do too, and having all these steps down on paper really helps. Do you have a particular form that you use, or do you just draw out the outline and start filling it in? Well, I, I like the, the forms that are available at Family Tree Magazine. There's research toolkits that you can get, research outlines and, uh, and, and other forms, correspondence sheets, uh, whatever suits your fancy as a, as a genealogist. And I, and I, I like to, I, I use something basic for myself. I really just use, uh, I go into Word and I, and I outline the steps and then, uh, I, then I'll transfer them on to the forms as I get more specific. But, but really it's up to, to you as an individual. You can, you know, some genealogists like Excel, some people like Word, uh, but the forms of Family Tree Magazine are very, very handy and helpful. So, uh, you can go to familytreemagazine.com and, uh, click on the link for the research forms. And there's a link in the article, uh, to those research forms. And, uh, there's also a link to a, a sample research plan, uh, that I had created for, uh, researching one of my ancestors. So you can also get that in the article as well. Yes, I saw that. It's like in the last paragraph. And it's wonderful because you can really see it in action and you can see how this whole thing works. And what I love about it, too, is that when you're talking about this stuff that's beyond the low hanging fruit, you know, some of those brick walls or just those things that aren't going to happen in one sitting. What's really nice is that you can just put this down, pick it back up when you have time and you know where you left off. Exactly. And that's what I find for myself. Because I, I work a full-time job, I do my genealogy writing, I do my genealogy teaching, and sometimes I, I find that 
I have to sneak in genealogy whenever I can. Yeah. And so if I put it down, you know, I don't want to forget or try to remember, oh, what did I research that day? So as, as I use my research plan to sort of, as I said, check things off as I do them, uh, then I can go into my, my genealogical software and put in the information that I found. So it really keeps me organized so I know where I left off with a particular ancestor or a particular problem. And of course, if something pops up in a couple of years from now that challenges some of our conclusions, we can go back and actually see how did I come up with that, which is really important. Yeah. Now, before I let you go, I want to go back to step number three. It's a quick one. Uh, You know, you mentioned it's formulate a hypothesis. And yet that I think is one element that many people really don't do. Like you say, they just tend to go, I wonder if there's more records, I wonder if there's more records. And really, step number three is the analysis part, isn't it? It's when you really sit down and analyze what you have so far, and what you know, and try to come up with some logical strategies. Because in reality, it's just going to be somewhat common sense as to where to look next. It's not just throwing darts at a dartboard. Exactly. And I find trying to make some educated guesses about why things may have happened or or what would have affected the outcome or the decision. This is where you know it really delves into bringing all facets of genealogy together. So historical research, you know, doing a timeline, uh, trying to to narrow in and make your hypothesis. So, for example, with my great grandfather, I know that you know I know when my grandfather was born, and I know you know the birth years of of the successive siblings. So I can kind of narrow down. Maybe the years he would have, have come to the United States just based on uh, he came alone, so his wife was still back in Slovakia. So based on when the children were born, I can I have an, a narrower window in which to search instead of just searching like ten year period. I can I can really narrow in on specific years and specific you know trying to find passenger lists or census records or whatever it is for those particular years. And don't you find that as you're trying to formulate the hypothesis that it also really exposes where you have a gap, where there's an obvious piece of information that would really help with this hypothesis, and you go, oh, I don't have anything for that 10-year gap. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think I, I think that that's why it, it really helps to just you know, sit down and, 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 and follow these steps each way and, you know, what is your objective and then what are the possibilities and, and, you know, taking, taking things into consideration. Like, for example, uh, with, you know, Slovak immigration and other, you know, of course, uh, immigrants from Europe, you know, when, when World War One broke out, the immigration slowed and almost and pretty much stopped. So you can you can sort of use history and, and 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 events and things to, like you said, oh, I didn't think of that. Well, that's why I'm I'm not finding so and so. I find I'm coming over in one year, but then there's this ten year gap. But then I find another passenger list in 1920. Okay, why why was that? And then you say, oh yeah. Well, World War One was happening, and they probably got stuck on either side of the pond. So there are just things like that that you can that you really find out as you as you try to formulate this this hypothesis for your research. Oh, that's a perfect example. 
Well, I hope that you listening are now convinced that developing a research plan is definitely worth the effort. To get all the details on how to do it, read Lisa's article, Roadmap to Your Roots, in the January 2011 issue of Family Tree Magazine. Oh, thanks so much, Lisa, for setting us on the right path to genealogical success. Thank you, Lisa. I really enjoy talking to you. Thanks. If you're looking for an online way to start the year off right, a great way to do that is with some new technology that will make you more efficient and organized. My next guest has an innovative website that can help you do just that. Evernote.com was featured on the Family Tree Magazine 101 Best Websites list, and Andrew Sinkoff, the Vice President of Marketing at Evernote, is here to tell us all about it. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks for being here. You know, since some of our listeners will be brand new to Evernote.com, tell us what is the mission behind the company and the website? Sure. Evernote is meant to help you remember everything. Um, Basically, the idea is that there is so much information out in the world that we want to remember but simply can't. Uh, And what we've developed is a really great tool for people to do that using basically every single computer, phone, web Anything that they have at arm's reach uh, can help them remember things. Wow, lots of ears just perked up out there because remembering things is one of the challenges specifically for those of us doing family history because we're juggling so many notes and websites and documents. So let's talk a little bit about these tools that you mentioned. Uh, There's a couple of specific tools that you have on the Evernote website, and they each have a very specific function. Tell us about those. Sure. So the, the the key thing about Evernote is that it starts as uh, something that you download uh, onto your computer or your phone. Uh, we have versions of Evernote for virtually everything out there. So for whether you're a Mac or a Windows user, whether you have an iPhone, Android, BlackBerry, whatever it is, uh, you can have Evernote installed on your computer or phone. And or on the web. You can access it through the web as well. And the great thing is that you can take notes, you can clip web pages, you can put files into it, basically whatever you want, and then have all of that content automatically synchronized across every device that you use. So you can access that same document from your phone or from a computer or from your friend's computer. It doesn't matter. Everything is always synchronized and always available to you. Now, are we talking about what we've heard a lot about lately, which is cloud computing? Are these files residing out there on the cloud on the Evernote website? This is this is one of the really interesting things that sets Evernote apart is that it's it is a cloud service in some ways. And Uh in some ways, it's what we're very used to of just having software installed on our computer, because what we've done is really a hybrid approach. So you can do both and there are advantages to both. And so the cloud aspect means that you can access the, the information from any device or from someone else's computer or from a, a coffee shop when you're traveling. But you also have everything locally stored on your computer. And so even when you're on a plane and you don't have a network connection, you can still access all of your memories. See, I think that's one of the amazing things about Evernote, because I know for people who are older who didn't start out on the web, it's kind of intimidating to think about having all of this information and all of our data out there and not here on our own desktop. But as you mentioned, there's kind of a benefit to both. 
you know, sometimes we aren't online, so it's really nice to be able to access it from our own local hard drive. Right, right, exactly, and and that was that was a decision that that we made very early on because what we what we really focus on is you as an individual. That's what that's what our goal is. We're not a social company. We're not helping you connect with your friends. What we are helping you do is to remember everything that's important to you. And what we've realized is that the only way to really do that well is to allow you to access your information wherever you are. I mean, we talk about Evernote as being almost like a second brain. And your brain is everywhere you go, so it has to always work. And thinking in terms of the brain, then there's the recall. So tell us how that search feature works, because that is really slick. Yeah, it's it's a little bit magical, actually. <laughs> um, there's a number of ways that you can put information into Evernote, and there's a number of ways that you can categorize it. Um, Evernote, uh, you know, for example, if you put a note into Evernote, you can give it a title, you can tag it, things like that. Um, in addition to that, Evernote has some really, really smart uh, processing that it does on its servers. So, for example, if you put a photograph into Evernote and that photograph contains handwritten text or printed text, um, or if you scan something, all of that is then processed by Evernote and made searchable. So what you can do is you can scan um, some sort of a, a handwritten document or note, and then you, you're able to actually search for the handwriting and that note pops up. See, that's amazing. Now, is that what we call OCR technology, the the optical technology? It is. It's a. It's not quite uh, OCR. It's actually something that we've developed ourselves. Um, oh wow! Which 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 is why it's so powerful. Actually, OCR is sort of calibrated towards um, scanning of very clean documents. And what mm-hmm. we've done is we've created a system that works even if you take a snapshot of uh, you know in low light of something, you can still read the text off of it and we'll still be able to search it. Or if it's a really kind of messy handwritten uh, document that's full of smudges, we'll still be able to find some of that text. Exactly. So even if we write out a document in our own hand and later digitize it, or those notes on the back of a business card, you know, when we meet people at a conference, those can be scanned in and retrieved, right? Exactly. And, and it's amazing. It's really amazing how it does that. There are even, even, uh, additional things that Evernote does where, where, for example, if you take a photo with your, with, if you have a smartphone and you take a photo of something with it, uh, and you place that into Evernote, we'll even remember the location of where you were and you're able to search by that. So if you know wow. that you were in, uh, in New York, for example, when you created uh, a particular note, you were in a restaurant, you loved a bottle of wine, um, you can find it by going to your memories in New York. Wow, you're right. <laughs> I think Evernote can remember a whole lot more than we ever could in all of the comings and goings of doing research. So we've got typing up a note ourselves in the application, but you also have a clip tool where we can clip text and images right off of web pages, correct? Yes, and this is for personally for me. This is this is what I use Evernote for more than anything. Um, I find that uh, one of the great things that I you know spend a lot of time doing is 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 browsing the web. And there's just so much information out there. It's, it's so hard to remember everything. And what we end up doing is we're, we're sort of, we're creating bookmarks or we're, we're making favorites or opening tabs. And ultimately that stuff is just, it's just so, so cumbersome. Um, what, what we've at Evernote have figured out is that what you can do is simply put Evernote into your browser. It's a little, it's a little extension that we have for every browser out there. Whenever you come across something that you like, you just highlight the text. You highlight the text, you highlight the image, uh, you highlight the links, and you just click this little browser button. And all of that information 
It's literally like taking a snapshot. All of that information is taken off of that web page and placed into your Evernote account, into your permanent memory. It's going to be there exactly as you remembered it, uh, with pictures, with text, with links. And if you ever want to, you can click on the links and jump right back to the original site or, you know, just view it in Evernote. And of course, what's amazing is, is that this tool that you're talking about is free. Now, I know that you have a premium subscription. So once we get hooked on this, tell us what's the difference between the free tool and what you get with the premium upgrade. Sure. And, and I, I, I think I, the, the most important thing that we really want to stress about Evernote is that it is free and, and, and it's completely full featured as a free product. We always want to make sure that people understand that you don't need to upgrade. We actually don't push people to upgrade. People do that on their own over time as they, they see the value. They become more advanced users. Uh, most of our users are free users and they love it. Uh, for those people that, that do want to choose the premium service, um, there are a number of really great features. It's, it's, it's only $5 a month. It's, it's relatively inexpensive. And it gives you things like the ability to throw all sorts of other file types into Evernote. For example, you can throw Word documents and you can throw um, movie files and, and all, you know, any kind of file that you may come across. You can put that into Evernote and have that stored there, always accessible across all your different computers and devices. You also get more monthly uploads that you're allowed to put in, more new notes, uh, up to a gigabyte a month of, of new notes that you can place into Evernote, which is quite a lot of stuff. Oh, absolutely. And even the free service, what is that, around 60 megabytes a month? 60 megabytes a month. So that's quite good. Yeah, and you get a new 60 every single month, and it's a lot, yeah. Wonderful. Well, with so much of our research and family history happening online, it makes sense to take advantage of a free tool like Evernote to help you stay organized and therefore very productive. Andrew, thank you so much for giving us the personal tour of Evernote.com. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hi, everybody. This is Grace, the preservation expert here at Family Tree Magazine. If you haven't yet made a New Year's resolution, or you've already abandoned ship on your original one, I suggest that you resolve to make 2011 the year of the heirloom. I'll tell you my three simple steps to do just that in this edition of Safekeeping. If your family keepsakes are threatening to take over your house, trying to get started has caused many genealogists to freak out and decide to just watch Top Chef instead. Even if you don't have a ton of heirlooms, it's easy to freeze up under the pressure of preserving your family's legacy. So I've boiled down my New Year's resolution to three utterly achievable steps. Goal number one, set some mini goals. Coming up with small goals I can achieve in an hour or so is my preferred way of coming up with a to-do list. The tasks might be part of a much larger long-term goal, but I'm much more likely to do something simple, like make a list of the heirlooms in the guest room, as opposed to catalog, photograph, and research all heirlooms in all of my family. So write down a few small things you can do to get started. Keep your larger goals in mind, but don't focus on the big picture just yet. Goal number two, just start scanning. When I reviewed portable scanners for the September episode of the podcast, I found one that I really love to use, the FlipPal. 
because it doesn't require carrying around lots of cords or installing multiple drivers on my computer, I'm probably going to take this scanner to every family get-together this year and just go hog-wild scanning anything and everything. It only scans to JPEG format, which isn't the best for archiving digital photos, but it's great for emailing, printing, and uploading to the web. I had been putting off scanning family photos because I thought buying a scanner would be too expensive, but the FlipPal is just about $150, and the fact that it's lightweight and portable gives me no excuse not to use it. In fact, I've already started tagging all of my cousins in old photos on Facebook. Goal number three. Invest in quality archival materials. This is my biggest and most pressing goal for 2011. I'm ashamed to say it, but I still have some old notebooks and other keepsakes in cardboard boxes. So I'm setting aside a little money and a little time to get good archival quality storage boxes and folders and sleeves from suppliers like the ones on our podcast show notes page. You can learn more about organizing and cataloging your heirlooms in the October and November episodes of this podcast, and check out the resources I mentioned in this episode on the podcast show notes page. Good luck, and until next time, stay safe. Whether you do your genealogy research on paper or do everything online, Getting your research organized is essential to keeping track of ancestors and making sure that you know where to put new ones in your family tree. Well, to help you out, I've invited Nancy Hendrickson back to the show to give us some organizational tips from her Family Tree University course called Organize Your Genealogy. Welcome back to the show, Nancy. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Nancy, the subtitle of your Organize Your Genealogy class is Get Your Research in Order and Keep It That Way. And of course, that's so important because I hear so many genealogists saying, oh, I have to get my research in order. But it's really easy to forget about that keeping it that way part. Give us an overview of what you teach in the class that covers both aspects of organization. Okay. You know, one of the biggest places that we start and I think is most important is just really assessing what do you have? Because, you know, we might have something on one computer or something in a file drawer or in a box somewhere. And one of the first things we do in class is really getting everything in one place and realistically assessing what you have, then making a goal for what do you want to do with it. So for some people, it might mean moving to a paperless, basically a paperless office, that unless it's an original document, they'll digitize it and it will all go on the computer. So until you know what you have and what your end goal is, it's best not even to start, you know, what organizational method is best for me. So we go through the whole process of, you know, assessing and choosing an end goal, then we really move into different organization methods for paper and for digital. That's really an overview of what we do in the class. And and the students have been really successful in, they may not have finished everything by the end of the four weeks, but they have a system in place that keeps them organized. And that really is a key. Because if you If you get organized and then go off on an unorganized tangent after that, you're going to be right back where you started. Oh, exactly. And speaking of that, what are some of the bad habits that genealogists get into that lead us to some of this chaos? Well, you know, 
we're we're genealogists. What do we love to do? We love to research. We we don't like to play, you know, mess around with papers or files or log sheets or anything. We want to be in the library or on the computer researching. So the biggest bad habit is saying, I'll organize that stuff later. And in fact, I just got an email from a student this morning who said, I, I love organizing so, I mean, I love researching so much that I don't bother to even write down the sources of where I got stuff. So it's it's our true passion for, for research that actually gets us into trouble. And yet, gosh, citing our sources is so key because who knows if down the road something new is going to pop up and it's going to change the look of the conclusions that we've come to. And we have to go back and figure out where they are. And like you say, if you can't put your hands on those sources, it's like they don't even exist. Exactly. Well, do you use different strategies for organizing paper files and organizing digital files? Because a lot of folks are making that transition. You know, I do. And at one point, I really was a paper keeper. And I've reached a point now, because I have so much, that unless it's an original document, like somebody's birth certificate, I, I digitize everything, and I know this gives some genealogists the willies, <laughs> but if it's not original and I've digitized it, I throw it away. Because if I ever need that piece of paper in the future, all I have to do is print it again. But having said that, I also say that I'm a fanatic about backing up, and I own several external drives, and I always keep at least two backups of all my digitized files. So, and the other thing too, with paper, it's a lot easier for people to organize paper by surname. If you're doing it on a computer, it's a lot easier if you want to do surnames to then make subdirectories of things like military records, census, marriage records. So the organization can drill down a lot more finite on the computer than I think you really can with paper. Right, because you can make as many subfolders as you want to, but that gets kind of hairy when you're filling up a drawer of paper subfolders. Good point. And most most of us don't have the room to keep, you know, to keep things like that, to keep, you know, a eight drawer file cabinet. And the one one place I have an entire big banker's box of letters from one of my aunts to my grandmother, and I'm in the process of digitizing. Now, I won't throw those away because they're original documents, but after they're scanned, I will store them in archival storage, which is a, which is another thing for people to think about, about paper. If you're going to keep the paper for storage, put it in an archival container. So is that the differentiating factor, that if it's an original document, then you are keeping it, but if you just made a photocopy at the library, once you digitize it or whatever, you might just toss that paper? I do. Yeah. That's my personal preference. Some genealogists uh, would never do that, but that's a system that works for me, and that's something we really talk about in the class, is if the system doesn't work for you, it doesn't matter how good the system is. It's, it's not going to work for you. So you have to choose an organizing system that you know you can live with. And that you'll stay committed to. And that you'll stay committed yeah. to. Absolutely. Well, Nancy, if you could give genealogists just one organizational tip, if you only had five minutes with somebody, what's the gem that you would give them to help them either get started or just be successful? You know, what I would do is keep a log 
of the research that I've done. So if I'm doing, uh, if I keep a surname folder in a file drawer, for example, in the front of that surname folder, I'm going to have a log of everything I've already researched because how many people have like gone to the 1850 census for some county, they never wrote down that they did it. And over five years, they've gone back to that same census 10 times because they don't remember they've already been there. So if you can log what research you've already done, it will save you a tremendous amount of time. Plus, you can open the folder and you know, oh, okay, I've been to the 1850 census. It tells here on my little log where I have that stored. And you can immediately put your hands on the piece of paper that you want. Mm, Very good point. Well, you know, listening to Nancy, you can see that there's lots to learn. And she's got lots of great tips for us. But there are some requirements for taking Nancy's Organize Your Genealogy class. If you have a cluttered desk, an unmanageable genealogy, a disorganized computer, or an overflowing attic, then you qualify. (laughs) I'll have a link for you in the show notes to register for the Organize Your Genealogy class. Or of course, you can just head on over to FamilyTreeUniversity.com. Again, Nancy, so fun to have you here on the show. Thanks for sharing your organizational tips. Great as always. And finally, let's check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Allison, our theme for this episode has been starting the year off right. Um, I know you've got a lot of terrific resources there at Family Tree Magazine. What do you have for us that we can tuck into our genealogical tool belt? Well, it was about this time last year that I hosted a webinar called Organization Made Easy. And as we start off a new year, so many people are really looking to get their genealogy in order and start things off on the right foot. So I feel like that's a perfect resource to kind of dust off and um, remind people about because it's a great introduction to helping you get your files in order. Exactly. And of course, the webinar is recorded. This was done last year. And tell us uh, how long it is. What are we getting when we download a webinar like this? Sure. Well, the webinar, like you said, is an hour long, and it's a file that you download. So once you would purchase the webinar, you'd get a link that you could just download that to your computer, and you can watch it as many times as you like. And it's basically a video tutorial. So um, there's a PowerPoint component where I make the presentation and give you some tips that you'll be able to take away and use. But also, the, the neat part is, for example, when I'm talking about computer organization and how to organize your files and, and keep tabs on things, I can actually show you on screen how I do it so that you can see it for yourself. I think one of the greatest benefits of the webinars is really being able to see it in action. So many things are better seen than explained on paper. Yeah, it goes well beyond just a PowerPoint slide, but you're actually going live on the computer and and mousing around and showing us the ins and outs and step by steps. Plus, of course, it's recorded, which means you can go back and review and watch it again and and just jump to those places where you want that extra reinforcement. Exactly. And then also, you uh, mentioned before we got on the phone that uh, there was something coming up at Shop Family Tree that I think people will be very excited about. Well, we know that 
budgeting is also a resolution that people often try to stick to when they are starting out a new year. And we're introducing a program, a special sale in the shop this year that I think will appeal to a lot of people in terms of not busting their budgets right at the beginning. Um, it's going to be special collections of products that will be offered at a deep, deep discount. So, you know, the January will be Roots Resolutions, and it's going to have some beginner products and some getting organized products involved there. But um, the key is they're only going to be available for a limited time, and they're only going to be available in limited quantities because they are going to be discounted so highly. So I just want to encourage everybody, um, particularly our podcast listeners who are such loyal um, fans of the magazine and the podcast, to keep watching for those special deals. They'll be posted on ShopFamilyTree.com each month, and um, be sure to take advantage of those discounts. And you mentioned the one for January. Tell us again what that's called. Roots Resolutions. Roots Resolutions. So this will be a bundle of a couple of different products, but in combination at a much better discount. And so we head over to shopfamilytree.com and keep an eye out. And then will we perhaps be hearing about this in the newsletter as well? Absolutely. Wonderful. Okay, well, you've given us lots to work with to get our year off on the right foot. Thanks so much, Allison. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this January 2011 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis at blog.familytreemagazine.com slash insider. Next, go to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we covered on today's episode, including links to Shop Family Tree, where you can pick up those research resources that Allison told us about. And be sure and check out Evernote.com and start exploring some of those online tools like note-taking and web page and image clipping that could help you with your research. And finally, consider signing up for Nancy Hendrickson's Organize Your Genealogy course, a great way to start off the new year, or check out any of the other online genealogy classes at FamilyTreeUniversity.com. If you have any questions or comments, be sure and email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining me here today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I hope that you'll visit me at my website at genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcasts, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. Both of those shows are also available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. 